I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And good morning, we welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the winning of the lost and the edification of God's saints. Gospel Dynamite is a ministry of Asbury Baptist Church located at 218 Asbury Church Road, Seagrove, North Carolina. You're invited to visit our church on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. You're also invited to visit our website, www.asburybaptist.org. Now will you join me in studying the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. If you will, take your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at uh, verses 15 through 21. 15 through 21. We'll make reference to the entire chapter. But for sake of time, we won't be able to read that. Start reading in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and beseed thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hath eaten the fruit of the tree, or eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothed them. Now, this may seem like a strange place to come to a season like Christmas. And I want to speak to you on the promised lamb. Why Jesus had to come. The promised lamb. Here in the midst of man's greatest tragedy is the revelation of man's greatest hope. For it is in this tale of sin, judgment and death, that we find the message of the saving gospel and the person of the Lamb of God for the very first time. Here's the context. God has made man in his image. He created man in perfect innocence and placed him in a perfect environment. Adam has been given dominion over the Lord's entire creation, and he has been presented with a perfect companion, a woman called Eve. They live an idyllic existence free from pain, free from sorrow, death, disease. Every need they have is met, and they enjoy unbroken, unhindered fellowship with God himself, according to Genesis 2, verses 8 and 9. The only restriction that they have is in regards of one tree that is located in the Garden of Eden. This tree is called the tree 
of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam is warned to stay away from this tree, for to eat its fruit will bring death into the world. Genesis 2, 15 through 17. Well, for an undefined period of time, things go well in the garden until one day when Eve finds herself confronted by a serpent controlled by Satan. And this serpent tells her that God is holding out on her and Adam. He tells Eve that God does not want them eating of the fruit because God knows that when they eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they will be like him. They will be his equal. Eve succumbs to the temptation of the devil and eats of the fruit. Adam also falls for the lie. He eats as well. And in an instant, everything changes. They're no longer innocent. They're no longer pure. They have become sinners. They have become fallen beings. Immediately, they are aware that everything has changed. Instantly, they have become ashamed because of their naked condition. They seek to cover themselves with fig leaves, according to verse 7. Now, in the midst of the tragedy, God comes into the garden to fellowship with Adam and Eve, and he calls them out because they have hidden themselves from him in verse 8. God knows what they have done, and he extracts a confession from Adam, verses 10 through 12, and then the blame game begins. Adam blames Eve and God, while Eve blames the serpent. God immediately pronounces judgment upon Adam and Eve and the serpent, and God casts them out of the Garden of Eden. However, right in the middle of this tragedy is a flicker of hope. Verse 15 shines out of this darkness like a great beacon, illuminating the amazing grace of God. The verse has been called theologically pro-evangelium. That's a Latin which means first gospel. We do that because here in seed form is the gospel of salvation through the grace of God. Here for the first time we see a glimpse of the Lamb of God who will later give himself on Calvary's cross to redeem a lost and dying world. Here we can see the first stitch in the scarlet thread of redemption that courses its way through the entire word of God. This precious verse gives us the very first promise in the word regarding the coming Lamb. I want to share a few things here with you in this thought. Number one, we, we must examine the personality of the promised lamb. We know that the lamb would be and was unique in his origin. We're told that this one who is coming will be the seed of the woman. Now that's a strange statement. It's strange because of God's very design. Because of his design, the seed is provided by the male members of every species. 
Here we're told that the woman will produce an offspring without the aid of a man. The verse gives us the first kernel of a great truth that will be more fully revealed down the road in the prophecy. This verse is the first prophecy of the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan didn't understand it. Adam and Eve didn't understand it. But God indicates that he will send his lamb into the world through a woman without the involvement of a man. Now, of course, we know this is how the birth of Jesus came about. Isaiah prophesied it in Isaiah 7 and verse 14. The angel Gabriel announced it to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 35. Again, he would do the same to, Mary, uh, to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Why? Why is this important? Because the Bible clearly states and teaches that the sin nature was handed down through the man. The Bible teaches that in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, where the Bible says, Whereas by, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Every person who's entered this world through the old-fashioned method of a sexual union between a man and a woman has inherited a sin nature and is, in fact, a sinner by birth. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 23, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 22. The Bible's clear on that. There's no debate. The birth of Jesus was, however, very different. Since he came to the world without a human father, he was born without the taint of sin. He was born pure. He was born sinless. Thus, he was qualified to die for the sins of humanity. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Now, of course, what makes the birth of Jesus so unique is the fact that he was no ordinary baby. But he was and is. God in flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. John 1 1, John 1 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But the Lamb is also unique in his occupation. This Lamb was coming into the world to do battle with the forces of evil. We're told that he was coming to bruise the serpent's head. Now, in the original language, this refers to a fatal injury. This lamb was coming to this world not to show men a better way to live. He was not coming to improve their environment. He was not coming to improve their social standing. He was coming to defeat evil. That was his sole mission, John 18 and verse 37, and Hebrews 2 and verse 14. And this promised one was coming to deliver humanity from the sin into which it had been fallen. Many men and women would battle evil over the years, but this one would deal it a death blow. He was coming to do for man what man could never do for themselves. He was coming to secure their liberty, their salvation from sin. Well, I have more to say about that in just a moment. We must now deal with the very purpose of the promised lamb.
we know that he would come as a warrior. How do we know that? Because the word enmity means hatred or enemy. Now, of course, it brings to mind the natural hatred humans have for serpents. But there's more in view here. The enmity or hatred referred here runs far deeper than a man hating a snake. It refers to the hatred Satan possesses toward the Lord and all that the Lord represents. It refers to the hatred that resided within the heart of the devil that caused him to attack Adam and Eve in the garden and tempt them to sin. It is a hatred that desires nothing less than to overthrow the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. It is a hatred that demands the death of God and the installation of Satan as God. You want to learn more about that than you can research and read Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 16, Ezekiel 28, verses 11 through 19. This is the battle that was raging in Eden. It had less to do with mankind than it did with Satan's desire to wage war on God Almighty. And we're told that the one who is coming to this world would be a warrior. He was coming as one who would engage in warfare with a determined enemy. He would take up the fight that Adam had lost in the Garden of Eden. He would come to do battle with Satan. Of course, Jesus did just that. From the instant this prophecy was given in Genesis 3 and verse 15, until the moment Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again from the dead, Satan did everything in his power to stop the seed of the woman from being born. He worked through Cain to kill Abel, Genesis 4. He sought to corrupt the human bloodline through evil marriages, Genesis chapter 6. He tried to kill the people of Israel in Egypt, in Exodus chapter 1 and 2. He tried to bring about their destruction by leading them into gross idolatry during the kingdom years of Israel. And then when Christ was born, Satan tried to destroy him as an infant in Matthew chapter 2. He tried to lead him to sin on the Mount of Temptation in Matthew chapter 4. He tried to get Jesus to claim the crown without going to the cross in John chapter 6. He tried to kill the Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke chapter 22. And surely he must have thought that he won the victory when Jesus died on the cross. What Satan did not know and realize was that the greatest salvo fired by heaven was the instant God became sin and died in the sinner's place. Jesus, the blessed Lamb of God, came into this world as a mighty warrior. But he also would be a winner. Because the serpent is told that he will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. But the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. Now bruising the heel refers to an injury that is not fatal while bruising the head refers to a fatal wound. 
The word bruise here, the word that's actually used has the idea of crushing or striking. The serpent might strike the heel of the coming lamb, but the lamb would crush the head of the serpent. Now, of course, all of this was fulfilled at the cross. The Lamb of God endured death for our sake, but death could not hold him. On the third morning, he arose from the dead as the victor of the greatest battle ever waged. But in his dying and rising again, he inflicted a mortal wound upon the head of the serpent that will ultimately end with him being sentenced to an eternity in the lake of fire. Revelation 20 and verse 10. The prince of life entered the arena of the battle with the prince of death. And when the battle had ended, the prince of life emerged as the lone victor. Now all those who know him enjoyed his victory and share in the spoils of his conquest. And when he arose, he became the first fruit from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20. And as such, he promises eternal life to all who receive him by faith. John 5 and verse 24. My friend, we're not just on the winning side. We're on the side that's already won. I'd call your attention to verse 21 as we see the portrait of the promised lamb. After God pronounces judgment on the guilty parties, he does something that is most remarkable. God himself slays a beast of some type and uses its skin to make garments for Adam and Eve. Now in this graphic scene of death, there is a wonderful portrait given of the coming lamb. It was a portrait of sacrifice. Imagine, just imagine the horror that must have filled the hearts of Adam and Eve as they witnessed death for the very first time. They had never seen blood before. Now they watch as God with his own hands. He slaughters an animal to provide a covering for their, na their nakedness. It was in this instant that they saw firsthand just how much their sin actually cost. They finally understood that the wages of sin is death. Genesis 2 and verse 17, Romans 6 and verse 23. What we see in this verse is a clear portrait of what the coming lamb would do for us. Remember that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Remember that he had never sinned. 1 Peter 2 and verse 22. And that he didn't deserve to die. Remember that he came to the world to have his heel bruised. And that so he might crush the head of the serpent. And now I want you to look away to Calvary. I want you to see the Lamb of God nailed to a cross. I want you to see 
his tormentors as they spit in his face. Watch them as they pluck the beard from his cheeks. Listen to them as they mock him, curse him, deride him. Watch as they, the very people he came to this world to save, deliver him up to be crucified. Can you hear the sound of the whip, the cat of nine tails, as the cruel strokes fall again and again on his back? Can you feel the agony as he's nailed to that cross of wood and lifted up between heaven and earth to die? Watch him as the blood pours from the wounds in his head, his hands, and his feet. Look at him as the blood runs down the cross, pooling up on the ground. Now understand that everything he went through, every stripe on his back, every agony he suffered, every disgrace he endured, everything he suffered during his life, his trial, his death, was because of your sins. He was marred for you according to Isaiah 52 and verse 14. He bled for you. He died for you. Isaiah 53 verses 4 through 6. Isaiah 52 verses 10 through 12 says that he was so beaten that the visage of him, the appearance of him was not even of a man but a beast. And then realize that Calvary is God's billboard screaming his love for fallen man. Romans 5, 8. Look at that scene and see the awful hatred God has for sin. And look at that cross and see the boundless love God has for sinners. Look to the suffering Savior. That's the only way you can live. It's not only a portrait of suffering, but it was a portrait of sufficiency. You see, after Adam and Eve sinned and became aware of their nakedness, they attempted to cover themselves by making aprons of fig leaves. Their efforts were insufficient. And God killed an innocent animal to provide a covering for their bodies. God wanted to show them and us that the works of the flesh can never atone for or cover sin. It requires the death of the innocent in the place of the guilty. Sin is taken away only through the shedding of innocent blood, Hebrews 9 and verse 22. And this is a clear picture of the inability of man to make himself presentable to God through his own efforts. The very best we can produce 
always fall woefully short. Isaiah 64 and verse 6. Man has always tried to craft for himself garments of righteousness and garments of religion, but man's efforts never succeed in covering his sins from the terrible gaze of an almighty God. Man needs a covering that he cannot provide for himself. And when Jesus, the Lamb of God, came into this world and died on the cross, he provided a Sufficient covering for the sinfulness of man. When a person comes to Jesus by faith and is born again, he robes them in his righteousness. He makes them worthy to stand in the presence of God. When the prodigal son returned home, he was dressed in the father's robe, his filth was covered. And he would have easily been mistaken just by the robe for the father himself. Now the whole point is this. You can try anything you please. In fact, if you'll Google, and we rely on Google for everything today. If you'll Google exactly how many world religions are in the world today, it will tell you there is in excess of 4,000 religions in the world. But my friend, there is only one empty tomb. Nothing, whether it be religion, clean living, good works, nothing pleases the Lord. Nothing will be sufficient to deal with your sin problem until you come to Jesus and you're saved by grace. Then and only then can you stand before the Lord and be accepted in him. Now only Jesus Christ and his shed blood is sufficient to allow us to stand in his presence. The Bible clearly teaches that. I'm sorry that Adam and Eve sin to the garden. Imagine what a world would be like if they had not, but they did. And because they did, you and I were born in this world with a desperate sin problem. And I thank God that he saw our need. He sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to die on the cross as the perfect lamb. And as we enter and move through the Christmas season, do you know for sure that you know the real reason for this season? Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know that he came to die? Do you? Because, my friend, that is the only way you will ever be born again, by having him as your personal Savior. To you, is he just a story in a book, a, a sweet thought, but nothing more during a busy holiday season? Oh, you need to be sure. You see, just as surely as Adam and Eve came to the end of their lives and eventually died and went out into eternity, you will too. And you need to know where you're going to go when that event happens. And where you go hinges upon what you do with Jesus Christ. Why not come to Jesus today and meet the blessed Lamb of God who was willing to robe himself in flesh, strip himself of the insignia of majesty, as it were. Oh, he was God in flesh. 
And he came to suffer and to die for you.